Wow, time flies, doesn't it? Seems like just seven weeks ago we were keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we were. (laughs) Someone, uh, as I was preparing this message, I happened to see this blog about uh, Pentecost. And they wrote, just as Christmas is the birthday of J.C., so Pentecost is the birthday of the Holy Spirit. You know, there seems to be no end to the nonsense out there that people have have, uh, understood the Bible to say and teach. It's just amazing. Uh, We we combat it almost every day when people want to know the truth and uh, come with all this baggage of things they've learned in the past and what their church taught and uh, please explain this to me, I didn't understand and... uh, but that's what it's all about. Coming to a knowledge of truth means unlearning a lot of, tru- uh, a lot of falsity, too. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no end to it. But there will be when Yasha comes back. We'll see through uh, clearly through a clear glass and not the, the dark glass we have now. And even for us, we're going to see better, too. We'll say, oh, okay, now it really is starting to, to uh, gel. What he said to Job in chapter 38, Yahweh could just as well have said about today's ignorance of the truth. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Well, this feast embodies the giving of a spirit to help us learn and understand. This feast is very significant in that regard. We talked about the, a little bit about that in the Bible study today about the Holy Spirit and giving of that spirit to help us to learn more and understand better and to live better according to Yahweh's will. You know, we see an agricultural theme running throughout Yahweh's feast. That's what it's all about. A harvest, a harvest of beings, a harvest of souls one day to rule in Yahweh's kingdom. And there's the first fruits we know of a harvest. And that's basically what this feast is about, first fruits. Gives us an insight into the plan of salvation. If someone asks you to explain how Yahweh's salvation works, just tell them, invite them to read Leviticus 23 and Yahweh's feast days. You'll get a very good understanding if you can think larger than just uh, planting and harvesting, but something greater as a spiritual planting, a spiritual harvesting. It's all there, the blueprint for today's plan. And the coming kingdom itself are revealed in these seven annual observances of which this one is, well, second, actually third, if you look at uh, Passover as uh, one of the Moedim. But because the churches never talk about the kingdom, they never talk about what happens after this life, so people don't know what it's all about, uh, it's entirely consistent that they wouldn't talk about Yahweh's feasts either. Or tell people you need to keep the feast or understand the feast or uh, learn about the feast and and then learn about salvation itself. Seven yearly observances explain and define our eternal destiny. And when people come to the truth of the feast, they have to be taught from scratch because they were never taught from the first place about them. You know, we did. We were in total darkness when it came to Yahweh's day. We first learned, of course, the Sabbath is pretty obvious. 
The Sabbath, you know, there's groups out there keeping the Sabbath, no problem. Um, denominations even keeping the Sabbath. So we didn't have much trouble with that. But when it came to the feast days, what, uh, what are these? We had to learn. And we had to learn that each one is defined by a specific number of days that we are obligated to keep. Yahweh defines them, puts in the parameter of a calendar. You keep these days for seven, or this feast for seven days. You keep this day as it follows the Sabbath. Uh, and all of that. He defines it very well. And so we count this feast from a Sabbath day during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven weeks. We do that for several reasons. We don't, now, the Jews go from the first high day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they count it out this way. The problem is there's two high days. Why do they just choose the first and always come up with Savan 6? You don't even have to count it if you're always going to come up with Savan 6. But Yahweh says, count them. Seven Sabbaths will be complete. Now, that can only apply to the weekly Sabbath. Seven complete Sabbaths. Seven complete weeks. And if you count from the first high day, you're not going to get complete weeks. You're going to have par- partial weeks. Kind of like that, uh, that doctrine out there, uh, you know, the lunar Sabbath, loony Sabbath. There, you, you, you don't have complete weeks. You end up with a partial week, and there's the end, and we start all over again. Well, what do you do with those extra days? Oh, well, they have no idea. They, they just guess. Well, we just uh, throw them out, or we just make them all Sabbaths. I mean, it's all man-made anyway. But uh, Yahweh defines it very specifically how to count this feast, very specifically. And we're obligated to keep these feasts the entire time he counts them out, the entire, for instance, seven days of this feast. We keep it for seven days, not this feast. I'm loving bread, but this feast is a day one uh, after the, uh, the weekly Sabbath, and we keep it as he commanded us, as a Sabbath day. So uh, we keep all the days of the feast, not just the high days, and not just the regular days and skip the last day. There are, you know, in the past we've had people come to the Feast of Tabernacles, for instance. Uh, they keep the, the seventh days of the feast. Comes the high day, they're gone. They're heading home. That's not what Yahweh commanded. He said keep it for seven days plus one, which is the last great day. So we keep it all. You know, it's not just convenience for us how we observe Yahweh's feast days. It's not just to fit our lifestyle. It's not just if we have no family job or school to attend to. We keep them because Yahweh says to keep them, so we do. We take off. Nothing of this world is to become between Yahweh and us and our commitment to him. And that's a hard lesson to learn. For most people are unschooled in these ways of Yahweh, you know. They come out of the churches where they don't even keep the, they say they keep Sunday, but they don't even do that. That becomes their, their Sabbath, which it's not. Well, they say, well, technically it's just a worship day, but, but they don't even keep that. You know, they go to church for an hour and do the rest of the, the day the way they want to. So that's the mentality that people come to, many people come to the feast with, and we've got to train them. No, you, you don't make it your way. You make it Yahweh's way. So we all know the commands. We've read them, Exodus 12, 23, 34, Leviticus 23. We read all about his feast days. If we put Yahweh first, he will put us first in his kingdom. Now, some need to stop thinking and acting like they are still in churchianity. 
But you have to put Yahweh first in everything. That, that's the lessons of these feasts. In the way that Yahweh is commanded, which really means doing everything his way throughout life and everything that we do. Well, Yahshua set the stage of Adam on the bread to become the first of the first fruits. He, he is the first of the barley harvest. Then comes this feast seven weeks later, 50 days as uh, Deacon Steve pointed out. You count 50th. 50th, and that's what Pentecost means, a 50th. And that is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. That's why we have wheat. We have bread for the wave loaves that they wave before Yahweh. And uh, as a first fruits offering. So Pentecost also provides the, uh, the, the tools and the means by which the salvation message is taken to the world. He gives us his spirit. We'll talk about that in a bit. Exodus 34, 22. Yah renews the covenant with Israel by commanding, you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. The concept of first fruits is foreign to those who believe that today is the only day of salvation. They don't realize that there's a first fruits and there's another harvest that comes later. But if you believe that today is the only day of salvation, first fruits doesn't mean anything to you. Yahweh isn't calling everyone now. If he were, his success rate would be dismal because churchianity is falling apart. Bible believers are becoming less and less. It's becoming more difficult to reach out with the truth because people don't even have an interest Many of them, less and less. Many, not all, are called. Matthew twenty-two fourteen shows us. Because the truth has been ignored for 2,000 years, there's a big chasm in ignorance out there. Big chasm of ignorance about the destiny of the called and what they are to do now to be worthy of this salvation that Yahshua taught. A key to the kingdom is a selection of the elect who will receive choice positions when Yahshua returns and gathers his elect. And those are the first fruits. When you understand all the challenges as well as the rewards involved in being called of Yahweh, you begin to understand the opposition, the, the, uh, uh, why the acceptance of truth is so difficult for most. Because it involves a special people. Many are called, not everybody, many are called, but Yahweh sees in them the right stuff. They find it difficult because it demands humility and submission, which goes against the grain of human nature. We, humans are, by nature, rebellious. They don't want to do things that you tell them to do because they don't want to do things that you tell them to do. And because it requires real changes in your life. And that's really hard. They're satisfied the way they are. They're satisfied where they find themselves in their religious convictions. They don't want to change. That's, that's just, uh, again, that's just not human nature to want to change. And because it means throwing out the cherished beliefs and unscriptural things that they've been taught all their life. You throw it out, what do I got left? Well, you got the Bible, start following it. Start following a different way that leads to life and not the dead-end ways of uh, of tradition and so forth. 
You know, acceptance of truth is difficult because Yahshua said the truth is narrow. It's a narrow way. The path is narrow, the gate is narrow, and that means not too many can make it. We saw that film last night about uh, uh, the temple, and you notice how some of the, like, like the uh, Hezekiah's channel, how narrow in places, and I remember we were, uh, were down in there, and I'll tell you what, it was a struggle to get through some of those narrow passageways, and that's where the truth is. It's a struggle to get through because it's not easy. And Yahshua never said it was going to be easy. He said, you're going you're to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome. And you can too. You know, the truth marginalizes us as well. In the eyes of the unregenerate, the unenlightened world, they don't understand us. So that's another obstacle we get to overcome. Because it involves overhaul of your thinking and practice and a whole different way of understanding, and that's hard too. And because many naturally resist anything new. You know, it's been 2,000 years, and Yahshua's teachings are still cutting edge. 2,000 years, and people are still not getting it. I mean, for the most part. His word is still blazing the trail, opening the way. And if you've ever grown a garden uh, or planted a, a fruit tree, you know how... how uh, the first fruits are their own phenomenon. First fruits are the first things that come up, and usually they're the, they're the better ones. They're, the, they're the, the, the strongest, they're the, the juiciest, they're the, they look the best, and it's you know the first thing to come to fruition. You might say fruit-ition or something. But it's anticipated with great expectation. I just can't wait till that garden starts producing or, or whatever. I need that, you know, want to get out there and start harvesting brother from Texas came up, gave us this onion about the size of a basketball. And I could not believe it. I said, how do you do that? And Larry says, well, I, we plant in February. Whoa, wouldn't that be nice? And this isn't a Texas tall tale. I mean, you know, Pecos Bill or something. This is, it isn't quite that big, but it was big. It was big. I've never seen a, an onion that big. And he had a bunch of them. But first fruits, I don't know if it's first fruits or not, but that's first fruits is really something to, to behold. And uh, that's what Yahshua was talking about, something to behold. Here is what Yahshua faced as a first fruit. The religious leaders feared him. They thought he was there to establish a kingdom. They misunderstood his message as well as the disciples. And they hated him for what he taught because he wasn't teaching their way. He wasn't teaching you know, their school. The average man didn't understand him or even realize who he was and why he came. Many thought he was just another religious fraud, like all these uh, imposters coming out of the, the back alleys at that time. And there were thousands, well, not thousands, but there were a lot of them coming out. I suppose there were thousands, I don't know. But they were coming out right and left, coming up with their own doctrines. And this is part of what influenced Christianity from that point. A lot of these crazy doctrines that were you know, people were following these guys. So they thought, well, maybe he's one of them. Most people were clueless about what Yahshua taught. They didn't understand it. He tried to make it uh, clear. He used parables for those that had an ear to hear, but he, for those that didn't, they didn't, they didn't get that either. And he, it was meant that way. This uh, New Testament movement was 
that was sustained by the apostles was uh, called a sect, a heresy, a cult, if you want to, uh, of Nazarenes. So, you know, they had a label for it. And, uh, you know, stay away from that. That's been labeled. And this hatred got its teachers persecuted and killed. According to the Bible, according to history, all the apostles met an untimely death. So we today should be happy just to be persecuted, you know. Someday it may go beyond that. The, the fake religion practiced by many evangelicals today says the truth makes you healthy and prosperous. Uh, book, chapter, and verse, please. I've never read that. Please show me. Because I'm not finding it. I'm not finding that. I'm finding a different way. I'm, ty- I'm finding a way that takes effort, that takes sacrifice, that takes work. That's what I'm finding in the scriptures not a travel down, glide down easy street. I'm not seeing that with all the blessings that come for one little simple profession. In fact, Yasha promised the contrary. Matthew 10, he says, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. So you got to hang in there. It's tough, yes, I know. And you're going to have family against it. You're going to have friends against it. But hang in there. It's worth it. It's really worth it. Matthew 5.11, blessed are you, and men shall revile you and persecute you and and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. The Apostle Paul understood the concept of first fruits. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah shall all be made alive. So there's a promise ahead of us for those that are faithful. But every man in his own order... Notice that. Yahweh has a, an order, a calling, a special calling, but you've got to get in a certain line, basically. Messiah, the first fruits, he's the wave sheaf. He's the barley wave sheaf. Afterward, they that are Messiahs at his coming. Fifty days later, the second first fruits offering is presented at this feast. So here we are. This harvest symbolizes the saints, the wheat harvest coming up. And that's what we see out there now. You go out, go out in Kansas, you'll see them starting to harvest wheat. I remember uh, I got my first job out in a little town in western Kansas. And I drive home every weekend. And uh, Margie has something to do with that. But uh, you see these combines way off in the distance. It's, it's, it's dark. It's night. And you see these lights coming down, kind of spooky. And over here you see two more lights and these big combines harvesting while they can before the rains. The wheat harvest. So then finally we have the general harvest in autumn at the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the ingathering, where you gather in all of the fruits of your garden, your labors. And that's what Yahweh is going to do ultimately to gather in all those he's chosen. Leviticus 23, 1-2, And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning... Get these next four words. Tell your friends. It's in the Bible. The feasts of Yahweh. They're not feasts of the Jews. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy gatherings... Even these are my feasts. I underline it in my Bible. I boldface it. I highlight it. If his feasts were owned exclusively by the Jews, then churchianity's criticism about keeping them 
might carry a little weight. Might. But they're owned by Yahweh. You see, they're his. The one they also claim to worship, but they don't. Why don't they aim their volleys at those days that are owned by man? Christmas, Halloween, Easter, Valentine's, the useless, pointless holidays. Why don't they fire at them? Now read 23, 15 to 16, and you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto Yahweh. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work. You don't go out and do your job. Therein it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. A statute forever. So there's the foundation. That's what Yahweh established. So let's pick up the New Testament account. In chapter 1 of Acts, Luke begins where his book of Luke leaves off. Discussing the life of Yahshua the Messiah and his last act on earth. Called the Transfiguration where he was told the disciples he was going to be leaving them. So let's look at that. Acts 1, verse 1, in the, um, the former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Yahshua began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after uh, that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of Yahweh. Forty is a number of, of trial, of uh, complete uh, overcoming, I guess you could say. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which uh, saith he, you have heard of me. So he was teaching them about this feast here in, in Acts. And by those acts he did after his resurrection, they could not deny the risen Messiah. He said it would happen. It did happen. This Pentecost is 10 days after the ascension, after he went to, to his father in heaven. 10 days later, notice the timing. It's central, the timing of this feast it's central to many truths in the scriptures. Had the disciples left Jerusalem, or had they not come for the Feast of First Fruits or Shabbat, they would not have been there to receive the Holy Spirit. It would have been somewhere else. The same lesson is applied today. If we're not keeping the feast and assembling in Yahweh's feast days with the brethren, if you can, that is, if you, you know, if you have the ability. We could miss out on the blessings that come with them, that come with obedience to the very day, all the way to the day the Asher returns. Well, Yahweh is clear that his feasts are, are not optional. They are an obligation of his true worshipers. All indications are that Yahshua is going to return at a feast day. And if you're there, you know, you'll be with the brethren at a resurrection if you're chosen. At a time appointed, or moed, it says. 
That's in Daniel 18 and several other places. He's going to come back at a time appointed. That doesn't mean he just has a date in his mind. It also refers to the feast days. The same word is used of feast days. Moed. When the women or the assembly is carried on eagle's wings into the wilderness for three and a half years for protection, it's the first time something like this happened was ancient Israel. They were taken out into the wilderness. Why? Because Moses told Pharaoh to keep a feast to Yahweh. I need to keep a feast to Yahweh. He was serious about it. He was commanded to do so. Take them out into the wilderness. So that's what uh, they ultimately did. They kept the feast of unleavened bread in the wilderness. Yahweh protected them. He fed them. He guided them. He defended them against their enemies. He destroyed the entire Egyptian army for crying out loud. Performed one miracle after another. A cloud by day, a, a pillar of fire by night to lead them. All you do is follow it. Now, compare Exodus 19.4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Okay, compare that with Revelation 12.6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of Elohim that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days, three and a half years. So in Revelation 12, 6, we see spiritual Israel doing the same thing that they did in Exodus to keep a feast. Just as Israel did, to a place prepared of Yahweh. We're to keep a feast where Yahweh places his name, just as Israel did. Your own backyard is not a place prepared of Yahweh, but one you prepare yourself. Israel had to get out of Dodge or, or die in miserable bondage under the slave masters. Speaking of sin that does the same thing to us, we die under the bondage of sin. We have to come out of it. The assembly is fed for a period of time, three and a half years, same thing. Just as we feed on Yahweh's word at his feast and as Israel fed on the manna. Now suppose you're gathered with the brethren at a feast, either unleavened bread, Pentecost, or trumpets. These are the three that are likely the return of Yahshua. We don't know for sure because we don't know the day or the hour. But let's say you're there, three main times cited as possible return of Yahshua. There you find protection while others who are not there have to face the world, face the persecution, face the trials of this world. There you find protection. Well, others have to fend for themselves. Isn't this important? <laughs> no. You think Yahweh's not going to bless you for keeping my feast, as he said? Yahweh works in parables. He works in dualities. He works in types and antitypes. And the feast is especially uh, a, 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 a training for something special, especially prophetically. Ancient and modern fulfillments all over the place. Keeping this feast is a spiritual equivalent of putting blood on your doorposts to keep death from entering. I'm talking symbolically now. I'm not talking about doing that at, at another feast, but that's, that's Passover. But that's basically what you're doing for protection. And the Bible is such an, an intricate collection of books and 
that virtually everyone, everything in it has a parallel, a link to something else in another place in time. It's it's depth is mind-stretching when you think about it. Every time I open it up, I learn something more. Every time. When we go in-depth in the Bible studies, we go verse by verse talking about it, and so many new things come out. When you sit down, study it. Take the time to study it. It's amazing what it has in there. And there's never any end to it. It's a living book. You're going to learn every time you open it up. Its depth is mind-stretching, and its truths are there for all generations. But we see it through a glass dark, dark glassly. <laughs> glass darkly. I'll get that right yet. Uh, we only see the tip, you know. We only see the tip out there, the iceberg. There's so much more underneath. There's so much more depth that we, we're not going to know until Yasha explains everything to us. But let's go back to Acts 1. Yasha continues advising the disciples in verse 5, showing the distinction and improvement between John's baptism and New Testament immersion, which now in, includes the giving of the Holy Spirit. I want to read, I think I, I missed my Acts uh, 1 verse 6. Let's continue on there. So there we read, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Master, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, that's what they were expecting all along. Yahshua was going to, you know, get them under, from under the, the hated jackboots of the Roman Empire and have their own kingdom again as they had before. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. And yet, many people come out and say they know when he's going to return, and they, they give you an exact date, contrary to what Yahshua said. Notice they were looking for Yahshua to come back to establish a kingdom. He doesn't say, fellas, you got it all wrong. Israel's been booted out of the plan, and now the church takes over the salvation promise. Perfect time to say that. Didn't say it. Verse 8. But you shall receive power after that Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Power, dunamis, that's where we get the word dynamite. Verse 7, the word power is authority. Notice in verse 8 what the power of dunamis is for. To be witnesses of Yahshua throughout the earth, basically. That's what it was for. Too often the idea is, uh, well, I must get baptized to receive the Holy Spirit so I can have salvation. And that's as far as people think. But the Spirit was given for more than that. Sure, for the personal, but for our wider understanding, we need to know that the Spirit is given to take the truth to the world. Take the truth to the uttermost parts of the world with power. They completely miss the other reason the Spirit was given. We have a purpose in this life. Sitting on clouds, playing harps, isn't the goal. It's not part of it. Nor is it to sit back and say, well, now I'm saved, nothing more to do. Nothing I do now matters because I'm saved. Acts 5.32. I wonder if I got that on there. Well, we, we kind of go kittywampus here. Let's see. Um, there we go. It says, and we are his witnesses of things 
of these things, and so is also the Holy Spirit, whom Yahweh or Elohim has given to them that obey him. I told a minister uh, one time, he came to uh, dispute with us at a gathering we had, and I took him to the side and started telling him some things. I told him this one, and man, that, that got him riled up because I said the word obey. Oh, don't do that to a super Christian who's on fire that everything is, uh, you know, everything is easy and uh, all you got to do is profess. Pentecost in Acts signals the time to get moving, get working. You know, there's a boatload to do. we got so much to do to get the word out before Yahshua returns. Just sitting around talking about it or just talking is the stuff of Greek philosophers. That's all they did. Paul talks about that. They sit around just talking about some new thing, thinking they're accomplishing something. Yakety, 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 yak. Worthless. It's been said talk is cheap. Words are plentiful, but deeds are precious. We're, we're told to go out and do things. We're told to modify our lives and be an example of doing to other people. You know, when all is said and done, more is said than done too often. Yahweh's kingdom is filled with action, accomplishment, building, moving, shaking. Yasha said, I work and my father works. Is it, are we any different than that? You know, the human body is created to move. Everything about it is created to move. We've got to move it. And Yahweh's work is waiting for someone to take it up and move it. Get it done. Yahweh put Adam in the garden. He didn't just sit around picking fruit off trees. He said he was to dress and keep it, keep it tilled and preserve it. He commanded us six days of work and only one day of rest. Satisfaction comes after a day's work done well. And, you know, we find that in Ecclesiastes and other places. You know, the president said nothing is easy. But who wants nothing? And that's all you get by lounging around your lazy boy instead of using the talents you've been given to do Yahweh's will. As the president of my alma mater said at commencement, success depends on which you use. Heads you win, tails you lose. And that's Basically, life in a nutshell. Do nothing, you go nowhere. Follow Yahweh, you're moving, you're active, you're doing things for him. For an assembly, that's what the point of organizing is, to get a job done. Paul talks about that. Each one is used as a part of a body to accomplish things. Each one has a gift in that body to do something. That's the purpose of it. Not just to learn to fellowship, that's important too, but there's another goal out there, and that's to get the work done. That's to accomplish something for Yahweh's glory. But if you have no outreach and no other purpose than to fellowship with the choir, you're going to go nowhere. To fulfill the Great Commission, you know, we put on the big Smith overalls and we roll up our sleeves and dig in. You can also... Multiply your given talent by helping others find the truth. Yahshua said that. He used that in parables. You increase your talents. 
not just go bury them somewhere and sit around waiting for him to come back. Find the truth. Teach the truth. As the song lyrics say, work for the night is coming when no man can. There's going to come a time when we can't accomplish anything. It'll be over. And the record of what we did in this life will be complete. And we'll have to stand by that record. You know, this ministry goes full tilt. And we do everything we can to get the word out. If you haven't noticed, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying that Yahweh's given us a mission, and that's what we decided to do from the start. Using the ability Yahweh gives us, using all the resources we have to get the truth out. I call it a full-service ministry. We take advantage of every outreach means available to us. Publishing the printed word, books, booklets, the Bible, so forth. The spoken word, full use of electronic and social Avenues and media, online outlets and personal contact, all the while taking up the hammer to build the physical things we need to have as well. You know, it's, it's not an easy task. But we've been blessed. We've been blessed by many who have come to help, and that's wonderful. They have their talents, and they help. My wife was commenting yesterday, you realize how many people just pitched in to help? after the Sabbath, to get everything cleaned up and so forth. We have beautiful brethren there who understand the importance of serving Yahweh in that capacity. They have the same vision. Yahweh is a mighty one of activity, creativity, power, and function. That's what he's all about. He wants us to have the same attitude. He expects, expects nothing less of his people. Yahshua talked a lot about drive and ambition he gave parables one after another, explaining it to get out there and get the job done of teaching the truth to the world. So the Holy Spirit is not just for show, to say you can sit there and blab, 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 babble something in some unintelligible, not even language. That's not what it's about. Some fireworks to dazzle the eyes. Uh, and excite the imagination or to draw attention to oneself in some charismatic displays. That's not what the Spirit was given for. The Holy Spirit is given to accomplish a work, to get Yahweh's word out. That's what it's for. It's the power mentioned in Acts 1.8. When you look at the whole concept of Yahweh's plan for man, plan for this earth, when you, got, when you take in the whole picture, You see the feast days as something dynamic. You see it operating on a high spiritual level. All aimed at salvation for the sake of the kingdom. The disciples got it right about Yahshua establishing a kingdom, but they got the timing wrong. They thought it was going to happen right now with Yahshua standing there. Passover is Yahweh separating people out from the Egypt of sin, followed by the eating of Unleavened bread, meaning rooting out the falsity and the error in our lives, the sin and so forth, that will destroy us. That's what we do there. Then comes the Feast of Weeks where we're empowered with the Holy Spirit to help us spread the truth of Yahweh. So we're ambassadors, really, if you think about it. Really, we're representatives of Yahweh and what he has for us. And you'll never be ashamed to follow Yahweh. And we never should be ashamed. One day we'll all be vindicated. 
and we'll see, you know, just what it all came together as. If you stay faithful. You know, this Holy Spirit force is manifest by the many gifts it bestows. You, you, you see him in 1 Corinthians 12. We talk to people about baptism. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit that can do different things, give you the ability to do whatever, uh, enhancing oftentimes what you already possess. But it, it's part of that, like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, prophecy, even just the resolve, the leadership that you give to someone else to keep on going when they get a little discouraged in the face of overwhelming, sometimes, opposition. It's all part of it. Yahweh had a plan in this feast. Each of us has given one or more the spiritual gifts to do something for him. Let's see how that promise is fulfilled in the next chapter, Acts 2. Peter and the rest have been waiting in the upper hall, just as uh, Joshua told him, to wait, to tarry at this time, because something special is going to go on. So there they are in one accord, one mind. Remember in John 20, 22, after Yahshua had resurrected, he stood in the room with the disciples and breathed on them. Remember that? Breathed on them who were there and gave them the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That same breath of life made Adam a living human being. It's the energy, the dunamis of, of Yahweh. So, Here they are, verse 3. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. I've never seen that ever duplicated in a charismatic display. Have you? You have people pretending, I think, maybe uh, by an unholy spirit. I don't know. But uh, I've never seen fire come down on them. I mean, if they're going to do that, they might as well have the full, full deal. Get the full monte. Have the fire come down, too, as well. But they can't do that because... (laughs) <laughs> That's not what uh, what we're talking about here as far as getting the Spirit. So anyway, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Others, heteros, different kinds of tongues, glossa. These are languages. These are known, speakable languages, not gibberish. They were there speaking languages or at least in the hearing, they were hearing in their own tongue. Cretius, I'm skipping over. Let's, let's skip down to uh, um, verse 11. Cretus and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. See? Understandable tongues, not gibberish. The wonderful works of Elohim. And that is the key to all of this, is the wonderful works of Yahweh. This is what changed people when they heard the truth being spoken, not just the ability to talk in a language that nobody, uh, these people had never learned. Galileans were speaking these things. And, you know, they were seen as guys from the backwater. What do they know? know, Wow, you hear what he said? I can understand him. How could he speak? Whatever tongue it was, I can understand him. That's amazing. What was more amazing is what they were saying. They said in verse 12, what, mean is, what means this? What does this imply? Not how they said it, but what they said. No doubt this is what the foreigners heard. The wonderful works of Yahweh, verse 11. And uh, 
verse 37 to 41. You can read more, but we're going to kind of cut it a little short. The power of Peter's words, the gift that he had, the, uh, the ability to communicate in spoken words was dynamite. So much so that 3,000 people were baptized. They were convinced. They heard the truth being preached, and it convicted them, 3,000 of them. You know, Yahweh accomplishes his ends very well when he wants to. Work is getting accomplished. People are coming to an understanding of truth. This earth is being moved. You know, we make some people angry when they hear us teach the truth. They, they, uh, they're being convicted or else they wouldn't get angry. That's how I look at it. And I just say, well, you know, you can take it or leave it. One day, <laughs> you'll be forced to take it. But uh, we put it out there. You can believe it if you want to. If you're being called, you will. So their resistance is ultimately futile. The religious world is, is solidly entrenched in their error that most firmly believe is the truth, and they can't see the forest through the trees. Only dynamite of the Holy Spirit is going to loosen you know, their understanding and to see through the false traditions. Israel was released from Egypt at Passover to be purged of what sin and what error they were in in Egypt. And uh, this was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At the Feast of First Fruits, they received Yahweh's law, his blueprint for the kingdom. At the Acts 2 feast, the Holy Spirit was given to take this message out to others, to share it with others. What does it mean for us? Pentecost is a time for action. The Holy Spirit given, as I said, for a reason. Let that spirit given at our immersion bear fruit so we can grow and tell others the truth. We have a, uh, a, a gal from back east came to Unleavened Bread, and my wife said that she texted her, I guess, or called her. Anyway, uh, on the way home at the airport, she says, asked in prayer that Yahweh would let her be able to witness to somebody. Sure enough, she witnessed to a rabbi and somebody else the truth. Well, where were you? Well, I was out keeping, you know, the uh, Passover and the feast, and they want to know more. If you want to, they will come. Yahweh will send them to you. If you pray that, you know, you can get out there and be a witness, it'll happen. Some way or another, we hear so many different ways people learn of the truth. It's, uh, it's amazing. I, I talk about some, a couple of brothers, one of them out in Kansas early on. These guys worked for the railroad, and uh, he got one of the booklets we'd sent him, threw it in the drawer. One year later, he was digging around his drawer, and he pulled this thing out. And, Whoa! He was convicted right there. It took time. It doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes it takes a little time. Things have to gel. Maybe Yahweh didn't have him look at it at that time. He first got it because his mind was in a, a different attitude and it you know, wasn't ready. But Yahweh knows. So anyway, Pentecost is a time for action. The Holy Spirit is given for a reason. If we allow Yahweh's Spirit to work within us, Yahweh will grant us that wish, that desire. Bear fruit. When they left the feast, they worked. All you saw was knees and elbows. I mean, it was a whole different atmosphere after Pentecost. 
in Acts. Pentecost is the one biblical feast that churchianity respects, amazingly. There are at least two reasons for that. The Holy Spirit, which was sent by by Yahweh on this day to those desiring following the truth. And the other reason is that churchianity teaches that on this day the church was born, which isn't true because Paul talked about the assembly in the wilderness in Corinthians. Uh, But this is what they think, that the assembly there was, and then the spirit was given to other people too in the Old Testament. And, you know, the, the, the apostles had the spirit breathed on them already. Uh, but this was manifest in a greater way, a real outpouring. So, you know, they, they've got a few things messed up there. But they, you know, they, they, they acknowledge this day. And I wonder, why don't you keep and observe the other days? It's all part. Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, is part of what we find in Leviticus 23. It's in the list. Why don't you go through the rest of the list? To throw out or change this, the other feast days is to deny uh, Yahweh. The other feasts are just as significant. You know, they just are as important as the other, one that they do recognize. They're just as powerful. Does Yahweh allow us to decide which feast days we choose and which ones we ignore? All of Yahweh's holy days are presented as a package with the admonition that these feasts are of Yahweh, not feasts of Jews or someone else. To argue that these special days are Mosaic law and therefore are done away is to ignore the many statements of Scripture telling us that these belong to Yahweh and these are commanded of Yahweh in the Old Testament, kept in the New Testament. Yahshua kept these feasts. So did the apostles and disciples. They kept these feasts. But it doesn't register to most today that this is what they were doing. The great disconnect today is the fact they're missing the vital link found in Yahweh's covenant. The new covenant is mostly the same as the old with a few tweaks. Did you know that the New Testament mentions Moses 78 times? And Moses, in the scriptures, other than in the record itself, is always associated with the law, you know, law of Moses. Not that he gave it, but he transferred it from Yahweh to the people. He was the conduit. 78 times the New Testament talks about Moses. Just another proof, the Old Testament was an essential part of the New Testament. I'd like someday to lay this out in a chart and show all the different links, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. We do that in, uh, in the RSB, but I mean uh, something even beyond that to show just how important the Old Testament is in today's worship because that's all the Bible they had. That's another link. When Yahshua quoted the Bible, He's quoting the only Bible he had, was the Old Testament. 250 times the New Testament quotes the Old Testament or refers to it. Now, if that doesn't say something, that's a lot of times. How could that be, you know, a replacement for the Old Testament? John wrote, Behold, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you had heard from the beginning. 1 John 2.7, the only word they had at that time was the Old Testament. Verse 24 continues, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. 
If that which you had heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. Continue, meno, remain, stay in a given place, state, a relation. Not change up time, throw out the old, in with the new. You continue on. Yahshua kept every one of the feast days. He said he had kept his father's commandments, were to do the same. There's no way. He could not have been sinless by ignoring anything in Yahweh's law. We're to follow him, John 15, 10. He did so perfectly, without fail. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 22. Without fail. He didn't perform a single act, teach a single truth that we're not to do today. He said, I did not come to do my own will, but the Father. As the Father taught me, so I do. He didn't say anything that the Father didn't already tell him to do. The Father is the one he taught. So teach basically that Yahshua disposed of the Old Testament, started over with the New Testament, is to say he botched it. Yahweh botched it. He made a huge mistake with the Old Testament. And when the New Testament quotes or references the Old Testament 250 times, well, that was just an oversight. Uh, They must have grabbed the wrong manuscript, I guess, or something. I don't know. It didn't really mean to teach hundreds of times that uh, these things had not been abolished. You know, a second witness command for the Feast of Weeks is in Deuteronomy 16, 9 uh, 9 to 11, it is. I think this is it, and I had a hard time getting that all on there. Seven weeks shall you number unto you. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as you begin to put the sickle to the corn. Corn, of course, is modern rendition. That's not what it's, it's the, uh, the, the wheat. And you shall uh, keep the feast uh, seven, seven days. Let's see, keep the feast. Where am I here? You shall, I'll get it right, yeah. Doggone it. Uh, you shall keep the feast of weeks unto Yahweh, Elohim, with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, which you shall give unto Yahweh, your Elohim, which we did. You know, we don't take off weekly offerings like the churches do, but we do take those offerings that are commanded. Now, you can give every week if you want to, and that's good. Uh, Yasha said, that's good. The widow's might. You know, she came to the temple and gave her. That's fine, but we don't force it on somebody. It has to be in their heart. But when it comes to Yahweh's feast days, he, he commands us to give, so that's what we do. Uh, according to Yahweh, Elohim has blessed you. You shall rejoice before Yahweh, your Elohim, and your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite that is within your gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you, in the place which Yahweh, your Elohim, has chosen to place his name there. This feast is marked by offerings and rejoicing. It was at this time the feast of first fruits. That Israel received the law at Sinai, which can be determined by synchronizing the timeline from when they left Egypt to the timing of the feast. Seven weeks later, it's about where they would have been, Sinai. The biblical feasts are a type of the spiritual journey we make as we come out of the world. There's so much depth of meaning in Yahweh's days. Um, And I'm sure there's another layer upon layer upon layer that we're not even getting. And someday I guess it'll be revealed maybe. I'm sure there's something more that we're missing, but we, we got the basics and this is what Yahweh says to do. 
someday it'll be amazing. And who knows, maybe he'll have these feasts working on a different direction in a different way in some future culture. Who knows? Who knows? You know, it's a miracle when Yahweh's spirit works in a person. It's a miracle to see them catch on to the truth. When so many others are just blinded. There were these big, if you could see spiritually, they got these big, huge blinders on. They can't see past. And when someone can see through that, it's just amazing. Some people catch on right away. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They catch right on. They don't have to be convinced. They see it. This spark of interest turns into a flame of understanding and desire. The thrust of the Feast of First Fruits centers on teaching the truth. In Acts 2, after the 120 received the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to teach the truth boldly and powerfully. Peter, always the one to shoot off his mouth, was now a changed man. He was, he was on fire. He was serious. He, was, he got it. So that 3,000 people got it as well. He was driven literally overnight, by this Pentecost transformation. Peter and John spoke with unbridled force, energy, and boldness, we read in Acts 4.13. They were on fire. Those unlearned and ignorant men, quote-unquote, began to turn the world upside down. Miracles began happening, and these apostles had power they never had before and could never even dream of. The Feast of First Fruit shows us that Yahweh's laws exist more than just in the physical sphere. Now the spiritual intent of obedience has to be emphasized. What it means, the real purpose for obedience, becomes clear with the right attitude. Hebrews 8.10 says that Yahweh's laws are put into the minds and heart. The mind and heart. We have an expression, you take it to heart. What does that mean? That means you take it within you. It becomes a part of you. So when he says the covenant in Jeremiah and in Hebrews 8 is going to be put in, the laws are going to be put in your mind and heart, that means you're going to internalize them and do them automatically. How can that mean? It means throw them out. It, that, that's silly. That, 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 that's nonsense. You put it in your mind and heart. If something's in your heart, you really mean it and you really do it. Written on our hearts, it says, and not on tables of stone. Some people think that means abolish them. They don't understand the Hebrew. They don't understand the language itself. In biblical terms, it means to obey from the inner desire. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Yeah. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the stony heart, out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may, now pay attention here, walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people. I'll be their Elohim. That's what it means to put it in your heart. We literally take to heart what Yahweh tells us to do when those laws are in our hearts. Those who have the Spirit will rise at the return of Yahshua. The Spirit's going to draw them like a magnet, it says. He'll, he'll raise you by the Spirit. So if you've got the Spirit, you're in 
you know, compatibility with the Spirit. And he'll raise them at the, at the, last, uh, the last day. The power conveyed by the Spirit is to guide and teach. There's so much work. Because it's Yahweh's, you know, the Spirit is Yahweh's, I like to call it his extension. It's whatever he's doing at the time. Whether he's creating the universe, whether it's creating a people for him, uh, all of these things are part of the spirit power that he chooses to use to accomplish his will. Those not first fruits will have a shot in the second resurrection, perhaps, if they're not completely rejected. We find no mention of what these others will do in the kingdom, however. That's kind of fascinating. Yet we know they'll have a place because in Yasha's parable, we see the bride and we see the bridesmaids. The bridesmaids are not the bride, but they are in the ceremony. So I look at that to say they are not the first fruits, but they have some kind of part in the kingdom. When they also accept the truth, they take a lesser position. First fruits are the best, as we talked about. First fruits are those that have the primo positions in Yahweh's kingdom. So may we be found worthy to be the bride of Messiah and teach others about the kingdom, about the, the point of this life, why we're here on this earth. Uh, not to just roll around on clouds one day, doing nothing. You know, this present world has a shelf life. It has an expiration date. But the kingdom is forever. The kingdom will go on and on and on. What we're doing here and now is just not even a blip of what's to come. I hope that we're all preparing for that time. I hope we're all preparing to be in that kingdom. It's not an easy road. Yasha said that. But the blessings, good night. Priceless. There's no way you can put a price on salvation. So I pray that you'll live for that, that you'll keep faithful to the truth, keep, keep his feast days, and honor Yahweh as he commanded. May Yahweh bless you.